You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Cynthia Hardy. She is CEO and founder of Pivot Global Partners. She's also trained as an attorney, and she is an author. Her book coming out is Crossing Meridians, Engineering Disruption to Becoming a More Effective Leader. And that's what we're going to talk about is leadership, a challenging thing for many people. I think we're trained in lots of different areas, lots of different skills. Leadership is one that's hard to come by, and it's something that takes a lot of thought, a lot of reflection, a lot of self-awareness. And we're going to talk with Cynthia about the work that she does with folks to help them be more effective, to be more strategic, uh, hopefully build better companies, more successful businesses. So with that, Cynthia, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. Before we kind of dig into what you're doing with Leaders Now, with the book and the, the work that you're doing, give us a little sense of the background. What was your professional background? How did you get into the work that you're doing today? Tell us the story. Well, the story is all about happenstance. There truly was no (laughs) path, nothing that was deliberate. Uh Uh, I started, Bruce, just happy to have a job, quite honestly. (laughs) Honestly, it was... No, I get it, yeah. Yeah, right? So uh, happy to have a job. And then, and that was in law, no sense of uh, what a career or direction for a career could or should be. And had amazing people along the way who helped me, but moved into business, still in a legal arena, and then purely into business running P&Ls. Love that. A lot of turnaround. And uh, did that domestically, internationally, and then decided, hey, I should be doing something that is more entrepreneurial and independent. And so I started my own company. But that path was not laid out. And it was full of unknowns. I think that's the case for many leaders. I mean, I think a lot of folks end up in the situation where they're good professionals, they're good technicians in various areas and in the various kind of skills and domains that they have. And then all of a sudden they find themselves in leadership position or in a business ownership position. I I always joke, I was kind of an accidental founder. (laughs) You you kind of end up running this company. You're like, what happened? I didn't really plan this, but yet now I'm at the helm and I've got to figure out what to do. And I think that's a lot of the challenge is that this is not something that people are necessarily prepared for all the time. And that becomes a challenge. Oh, absolutely. You know, we know what we've been doing in some vertical typically, right? And we we get really good at that. And then whether you start your own business or you're elevated and promoted, now you're in a space where being good by yourself is not going to be good enough because you've got to influence You've got to listen more, right? You've got to see around the corners. It just takes a different skill set. And it isn't natural for most people. So it does take time and experience. And I don't mean time meaning 20 years. What I mean is time in that you're intentional and you want to learn even as you're doing it at the same time. That's what I mean by learning to be a leader. 
Yeah. Let's define leadership a little bit. Like when you when you're working with folks and you talk about leadership or people are are working on their leadership, what are we really speaking about? How do you define it? What is the scope? What is the intention of leadership? Sure. I start at a very personal level and I tell people it's one you need to slow down and be reflective and understand and inventory who you are and what you bring to your leadership. Good or bad whatever that is. And in fact, in my book, we'll talk about that. I lay out a method for doing this. But when you have that level of self-awareness, you then can build on something. And you're intentional about what you're building on. And as a leader, it takes being grounded there first in order to figure out how to get better. Put that into an organization, your own company, one that you're working within, a nonprofit that you might be a leader in, And now you've got a very different dynamic where, again, it's not just you. You've got some norms, a culture, a way of doing things that maybe you're defining or maybe you're inheriting. But in any event, you have an imprint on it. You have people that you're leading. You have those that you're guiding. You have all these different constituencies, if you will. And there is quite honestly no right or wrong way to do it. So what you've got to do is hit your stride. And that's where typically you see the stumbles, right? Because people may not know what that means. And so some things you're going to do will work incredibly well, but some won't. And the mark of someone that in my mind is a leader is one, they have that self-awareness. They're willing to learn. They try some things. They learn from what they did. They're not expecting nirvana because that never happens. Mm-hmm. But they, they push forward with what works well. And then they're resilient around the things that maybe didn't work well. And they use that to do a few key things in their leadership and in their organization. They use it to see around the corners and think strategically. They use it to be able to communicate and engage in a real trusted and compelling way. And they use it to problem solve, recognizing that they don't have all the answers themselves. I'm curious, you, you mentioned something in, in your overview there that I thought was really interesting about the culture and the situation. How situational do you find leadership? Just because I've seen so many situations where someone is is exceptional performer in one company, in one culture, in one context, and then they switch jobs or, or maybe they move departments or they get promoted into a different area and and all of a sudden they struggle and they're just not not nearly as effective as they were in the previous position. And I'm, I'm curious, how much do you see kind of leadership as being, you know, or, or a highly functional leader being about the context that they're in? If that context changed, their leadership performance may change. Uh, I would say that's about 50-50 because the things that are intrinsic to you and that you bring to leadership that are unique and that allow you to make a really good imprint as a leader are there. That's your core. It absolutely gets challenged depending on the situation that you're in. And situational leadership will demand different things. The people that you work with, that you work for, the challenge that you're facing, the culture, the environment that you're in, all of that, what you inherit, right? What you have to build, what goals are set and what are the expectations around performance and what do you have to work with? All of that affects your ability to be effective uh, both as a leader and to deliver results as a leader. But you go back to that core And let's say the individual that's in that challenged situation, you know, leadership is not going to be a a straight line that's all all the time going up around demonstrating it and effectiveness. And so you, you may have these ups and downs. Your goal is to have a slope that's going up. 
Why? Because you're learning through those challenges and you're better as you go through them. And that's how I encourage people to think about leadership. You may be at a challenging point from all of that. You're going to learn some Mm -hmm. things that will make you better as a leader. No doubt about it. Yeah. Do you find some when you first start working with somebody things that you're looking for that are going to give you an indicator that they're going to be you know easy to work with or they're they're going to develop as a leader faster at a faster pace than other folks like what what are the telltales that you see or that you're looking for when you first start engaging with somebody? Wow, that's a great question, and I think uh, Bruce, maybe there are three things. Uh, one, how self aware are they, mm. and do you have to create a lens that allows someone to have awareness or do they already have it? Because if you're creating a lens, that's a a bigger hurdle. Mm -hmm. If they have it, uh, that means they probably already have been doing some things and they have more momentum around them. That's number one. Number two, it is their appetite for risk. And you can find that out in different ways, but it's going to tell you how much the individual will expect of themselves around doing some things that are different and how much you can push them. Like what's their comfort zone and is it wider or narrower? And that is often a reflection of their appetite for learning. And then uh, the third thing that I'm looking for is their an understanding of their relationships. Do they have uh, trusted relationships, relationships with peers, and with others that give them a feedback mechanism. I want to know, are they in a tunnel? Is it all what's in their head, what they think, their experience, how they see the world? Are they getting inputs from others that they try to sift through and do something with? And I would say those are the three things that tell me the baseline, the starting point, kind of the whether I'm dealing with someone that's got accordion capacity or not in building their leadership. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think there's a good, I think it's, it's always, I think, tough as a, as a coach, as a consultant to figure out who you should work with. And, and I learned long ago that you shouldn't work with everyone, <laughs> even, even <laughs> if they want right. to work with you. <laughs> that is true. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I have a saying, Bruce, that's really simple. And yeah. uh, I, I say in our business that all money ain't good money. Ooh. Right. And, and so that is about, in the end, going back to understanding the people behind the potential engagement. And you're talking about leaders in some way, and it's about their ethics. It's about their approach. It's about whether the things they say they're going to do, they actually do, the level of commitment they put behind something, and whether I want to attach my brand to them. So all money ain't good money. And certainly that can most often be a reflection of the leadership. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the book a little bit. So give us the story of the book. How did it come? How did it come about? What was the sort of impetus to actually put these thoughts down into this format? How how did it go? Give us the story on the book. <laughs> the book was five years in the making, Bruce. Now I know that's a long time, but uh, I did a, something a little bit unorthodox. So first, I went and decided I wanted to have my own lexicon because the book is the first in a series. And so I worked with a filing with the U.S. Patent Trademark Office to get the title of the book trademarked. And so, yeah, so both as you monetize the book and as their other series, Crossing Meridians will be trademarked to me and my company Pivot has a trademark in marketing the book. Having done that, which took a couple of years, I then started the process of thinking about it. And I, I stepped back and said, well, why am I doing this? And I thought, one, I felt like I had something to say after decades of 
leading and hiring and helping to shape people, mentoring, leading organizations, right? So I I felt like, okay, through all of this, not only do I have something to say, but I, I think I've got an approach through lived experience, things I've tested and tried, things I've worked on with clients. I think I have an approach that gets to gaps that I see, and I want to share that. And then also, certainly, the book is a calling card to the business, right? So let's be honest about that. And so our our company, I think, has a way of weaving in everything that the book shares and puts forth in a systemic way as we are approaching our clients and working with them on pivots, leadership, innovation, or DEI. So that was the impetus for the book. And it took about, when I actually did the writing, I would say about eight months. And- in hindsight, I, I can see stages that I, I it was my first time writing. <laughs> I knew nothing yep. about it. Yep. But I, I see first you do the thinking, the ideation, and the outlining. Second, you're actually writing. And I, I took the approach that I wanted to write fiercely from the heart and just write. And then I would come back and I would edit. And that's what I did. And then the next stage I was clueless about, which is when you're working with the publisher on the design, the formatting, the graphics, interior graphics, and also the cover. And I tell you, the rigor needed there was one I underestimated because (laughs) you know this as much as you've got good people and the publisher staff, proofreaders, editors, whomever. In the end, what comes out is what you as the editor have signed off on. And so every single change, every line, uh, you've got to go through to the nth degree to make sure that end product is what you expect. And then the last part is the marketing. (laughs) And it is Uh, a beast. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm learning things I've never known anything about, but I'm loving it. And uh, we've got an aggressive marketing plan that we put together that is all about both thought leadership and leveraging social media very aggressively and actually putting us in the space where our readers are. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. And I know you're kind of, you're still in the thick of it, but have you had any reflections on what you do differently or or what you'd change if you had to do this again? <laughs> Lord, yes, absolutely. Yes. So I, I well, the, the USPTO part was work and that would be behind me, yeah. but I would spend more time outlining up front because the more cogent you are, the tighter your writing is and the editing will always be aggressive, but it's not as big of a job. So that I would do. I had a a wonderful illustrator, Kyle Sunderland, 23 years old out of the Savannah College of Art and Design, who was the illustrator. (laughs) And she was phenomenal. Working with her was great. My editor, Christina Palea, was wonderful. I now know how to better coordinate work with these independent professionals as I'm moving out of writing and editing into the formatting and production stage. That and now because now you're folding in people from the publisher. That is where I know so much now that I didn't know before. The coordination that's needed so that you're not going crazy every time there's a turn with some change that happens. Mm -hmm. And then the marketing, I would start earlier. Uh, the whole notion yeah. yeah, of the pre-release type work that you would do certainly would have done that earlier. Uh, as, it, as it's worked out, the timing has actually been perfectly okay. 
but I probably would have done three or four months before the release with very aggressive pre-sales ordering and marketing. And so that would be something where I would tighten up. Now I'll, I'll learn about the channels we're using for marketing and what I see is more or less effective. We're putting measurement on everything we're doing. So I'll be able to answer that for you about nine months from now. <laughs> we'll do a follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> and who do you hope to reach? I mean, what's is, is there a particular audience that you're looking to speak to, a particular type of person in a particular type of situation that you hope, you know, gets a copy of the book, you know, reads its contents and, and what do you hope they do with it? Yeah. So it's a great question. So my focus is on aspiring to mid-career leaders. And let me tell you what they look like. Yeah. So let's take the graduate student who's coming out of their program and they're beginning their career. Academic learning behind them. Maybe they work for a year or two in between college and in their graduate program, but they're about to start a career. And I think that the book can help them understand what they have to do in a very self-directed way to build leadership capabilities and have some foresight about it. Let's take the person that um, has been in a job and, and technically they're very good at what they do and they've been promoted for the first time to a leadership mm-hmm. role. So now they've got six people reporting to them, the phone's blowing up, they've got to do evaluations, right? All the things that they never had to deal with before. So magically, they have to show up and be a leader. What is that all about? And you've got to now very quickly gain some skills and become adept as you're figuring it out. That's another profile. Let's then take someone who's mid-career and uh, they've been at this and maybe they've been a, a manager for a bit, but they're feeling stuck. And they deep down, if you were to talk to them, they would probably admit that they have gone as far as they can, they feel like their limitations, but they can't voice them in their organization, because they feel like that would be the death knell, but they need some help. Mm -hmm. And it could be with core skills, right? It could be around influence management. It could be a, a number of different things. And I see this often. And people are desperate for help, but they also desperately don't want to say it internally, even if yeah. the organization has leadership development type things. Uh-huh. So helping those folks get unstuck, I think is important. So I say the book is for aspiring to mid-career leaders who need help and sometimes can't voice it. And that is the sweet spot for the book. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to add one. I think anyone who's promoting anyone <laughs> should, should get a copy of the book and give it to the oh, people they're going to promote. Yes. It just, it, it's so, I, I just find this, it's just, uh, it's dumbfounding to me in, inside or, you know, organizations where you know, they promote people into these you know, management leadership roles with no, no training, no resources, no support, and just expect they're going to learn this stuff on their own. And That's right. You know, it, it, it's to everyone's detriment, right? It's, it's to the right. company's detriment, right? Because That's now right. they're taking on huge amounts of risk. They're putting people in charge of you know, lots of other people and important projects, important clients, and with, uh, you know, with no training. And, it, and it's to the, uh, the person that got promoted's uh, detriment, right? Because now they're, they're put in a situation where they, they have you know, a chance they're not going to be successful. And I've seen, seen careers ended, you know, because people get promoted into situations and they, you know, have a significant failure and they never really recover. Or it takes a lot of time, you know, both, both kind of professionally and psychologically, you know, having gone through that process. So I really think that these are, these are skills that need to be, you know, not just 
something that a self-starter would would go and do, but really anyone who's in charge of you know looking at organizational development, organizational design, and, and growing organizations really needs to think about this as as part of their core company offering, right? Because if they're going to be successful, they need to do this. Well, that's a perfect segue to how we use the book within Pivot yeah. Global, right? So good. We do an innovation pivot, as I said, leadership pivot, and a, a DEI pivot. Well, in the leadership pivot, we're often talking with people that are leading uh, LOD, right, within an organization, human resources, for this very reason. So it's thinking about the tools that they have, the gaps they have around the learning and development for folks in their organization. And there are pivotal moments where you want to make sure people are equipped, like looking at a promotion. But I also talk about how systematically you can use this to ensure your pipeline is ready, your pipeline of talent. If you're looking at succession planning, you've got critical roles in the organization. You want to make sure people are prepared for those. Well, I get it. It's not just names on a box. It's what you're doing in that organization to do what I call the 50-50 work. The individual employee does 50%. You as an organization do the other 50% and that you've got some meaningful tools in place. And this can help in so many ways. And so, yes, we do work with folks within organizations to understand where they are and then say, look, we have sat in just about every seat that you have in your organization. I know what you're telling me and I can see what you're not telling me. And so here's I think the total scenario and here's where we think we can help you. But embedded in this is a recognition that, yes, you want the employees to be self-directed. It's giving them a methodology. But all of this has to thrive within an organization. And one of the things I say in the book, Bruce, is that, you know, I, I, I really encourage people to take it on themselves because in some organizations, they have a very sophisticated, well-oiled learning and development program, right? Investing mm-hmm. in their employees. On the other hand, there are some that have nothing. And in the middle, often <laughs> it's, it's about the leader and how passionate they are about it and what they do with it, right? Now, I'm not going to leave my leadership development to chance, depending on where I am in an organization or how passionate my, my leader is. I now know that, you know, decades later. If you're starting out, you need to know that. But at the same time, you have to say to the organization, what return are you getting? You're making significant investments. You're relying on talent to do some amazing things. And it's not going to happen if you really haven't thought about how it is that you equip them. Now, what happens often is you see that that leadership layer that should be engaging and providing feedback and coaching and developing, right, and providing the tools to the employee that they themselves need some work. And right. So that's kind of you have to look at this kind of high, wide and deep to say where are the choke points and where's the improvement needed. And often it can be layers of work that's needed around leadership to be effective in an organization. And when that happens, I say to people, "Okay, well, here's what we do. We stage the work and we're going to have some objective measures around improvement. But the first things we're looking for are indicators of progress. And that's how you have to think about it within your organization. It doesn't happen overnight. But when you see someone who's tried something that you know is uncomfortable for them as a leader, go tell them, look, I know you were stretching. I saw you do this in this meeting today. It was really effective. Keep at it. Or you're about to fall off this cliff. I can't let you do that. (laughs) I need you to redirect, right? (laughs) But it's the kind of thing that um, 
certainly, you know, the book speaks to, but it comes alive in an organization when they've got awareness and they're willing to say, how do we continue to improve and grow? Yeah. And I mean, how, how does this, I guess, what, what type of companies you typically work with? Give us a little bit of uh, context in terms of the size, the nature, you know, their industries. What, yeah. what do you find that you, you're most kind of focused on? Yeah. So it's really interesting in, in that our focus has always been on companies and um, that was mid-range companies, I would say, to large companies. Mm-hmm. Over time, using the exact same model that we've developed, companies have come to us and said, hey, can you work with us? So in the innovation space, it becomes natural that you've got startups. And so we're not talking about those with seed funding, right? We're talking mm-hmm. about those that have Series A and higher. So basically, they can pay us. Yeah, but that always helps. <laughs> it, look, <laughs> it's magical, right? So, yeah, exactly. But what happens we find in that environment is it's not about the the size. Their need is for operational maturity. And when they can show that in a pipeline and a product that's aligned to the market, then they can get investors and companies that need their innovation, right? So that operational maturity is right all, usually all about leadership. When we're working with a company that's established, midsize or larger, the work can be anywhere from, hey, with this team, this function, we want to do some assessments and coaching and leadership development and team dynamics. It could be in a large organization, we need a total restructuring and organizational redesign. We need to rethink positions. The accountabilities are clear. And we think about design principles with an organization. We work through options and we reshape not just what people are going to do, but the supports that you put in place, right, for them to do their best work and the tools that are needed. So depending on what's needed, our folks flex with the organization and size doesn't really matter. Uh, We work across verticals also, a lot of experience in the insurance and financial services space. And we have uh, certainly a lot of familiar with the data and the quant side, but we work across industries. So it really does come back to a few key things. You've got some people-driven issues and you know that it's really important for you to fix those. I say to people, you don't want to put good money on top of bad. And I say that really simply, but when you're investing to bring someone from the outside to work with you, you've got to first understand, have you been getting at foundational things that you can do yourself and that are so important? And when you do that work and you then add on some outside help, boy, you get a you know 10x return as opposed to ignoring those foundational things that are still going to be a problem. They're going to erode any other investment you're making. So we have those honest conversations with clients. And so I I will tell you that we enjoy the work because it cuts across different industries, different levels of maturity. But core is people want to do something with their leaders and make them more effective. And, you know, they know that makes the business better. And They also see the tie between leadership and the ability to innovate, which is to create a new product, service, or process, or significantly improve what you've been doing. And they fundamentally know you can't do that unless you've got the right leaders in play to make that happen. So, you know, it's all symbiotic as we see it. And we just work with people really simply and say, let's chunk this out and do this body of work, then this, then this, you're going to see progress, and you're going to see impact. 
and it's going to then multiply. But if you think you're going to do 14 things at once, no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. I have one of my favorite lines is you can do anything you want, just not everything you want. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cynthia, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Pivot, what's the best way to get that information? Oh, sure. I would uh, welcome a phone call. You can call me at 404 980 And you can also email me at Cynthia at pivotglobal.com. I would welcome any contact and outreach. Great. And the book, how do people get a copy of the book? Yeah, go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, really any bookseller worldwide and just put in my name, Cynthia Hardy, or Crossing Meridians, Engineering Disruption to Become a More Effective Leader. And buy the book, please write a review and tell others if you find that it's something that has helped you. That's great. I'll make sure that the links and your information is all in the show notes so people can get that. Cynthia, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. All mine. Thank you for inviting me, Bruce. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.